This is Talking Urology. This Talking Urology Ands Up 2018 conference highlight is proudly brought to you by Ipsen. Carmel Pizarro chats to Ben Tran, a medical oncologist from Melbourne who gave an extremely entertaining TED-style talk titled Bringing Data Back and doing for Ands Up what Justin Timberlake did for music by bringing sexy back. Hey Ben, thank you for agreeing to do this. Can you tell us a bit more about how you're going to bring data back? Thanks, Carmel. It's great to be here and have uh, chat to you about data. As you know, I love data, and I think data is so important in today's kind of research world. A lot of our colleagues might think registries and collecting data might be a little bit boring, but data is really necessary not only to describe what we actually do in clinical practice, but to help facilitate translational research, as well as what I think is the cutting edge in clinical research, which is generate a platform for registry-based randomised controlled trials. So we're going to get into registry-based trials, but before we do, I think some of our colleagues and peers may feel that one of the challenges with using data is that it's more work to collect it. So what would you say, how much is involved in collecting this kind of data? That's a great question, and it all depends on what you wanted to do with the data in order to generate a data set um, that is feasible and easy for clinicians to collect. So a lot of the registries out there collect a lot of detail, and that's very difficult for clinicians to find time uh, to do that. And what you find is amongst all that detail, very little is is used for, for research or other purposes. So when we're designing a registry or a database, a lot of careful consideration is taken into deciding which fields are absolutely necessary, which fields might be nice to have, and which fields are not necessary at all. So when we generate databases, we have it tested through multiple clinicians to ensure that it's really just the essential pieces that are needed. And so when within the groups that we work with, um, we find that the time and effort required to take to collect data is very minimal. And in fact, we've created databases that help people in their clinical practice as well. So when you pull up a patient on the database, for instance, you have a brief summary of where the patient is at automatically. So that might help you in your actual clinical practice. Okay. So you mentioned in your excellent talk yesterday that using data might be different to just asking clinicians what their practice is. Can you explain why that might be? So I've What we published a couple of years back was a study using a colorectal registry. We um, interviewed clinicians who were contributing data to the registry, and we surveyed them actually, and we asked them what their clinical practice was, perhaps what chemotherapy they used and how often they might use it. And then we looked at their actual clinical data using the registry, and we found there was zero correlation between what they thought they did and what they actually did do. And if you think back to your practice, what you remember are really the outstanding responses or you know, the, the extremes of, of your kind of clinical practice as opposed to what you do day to day. So there's a real um, disconnect between what we recollect and what we actually do. So we find that if you really want to understand clinical practice in the real world, you need to collect the data as opposed to interviewing clinicians about what they think they do. Yeah, fascinating. So let's get into this this area of registry-based trials. Talk us through how one might run a registry-based trial, perhaps using an example in, in neuro-oncology. Great. 
So just before I get there though, I just want to explain why registry-based trials are the future of clinical research. We all know trials are very, very expensive. And because of that, they're dominated by pharma-sponsored studies. And pharma have their own interest. And they might not want to do studies comparing two known standard of cares, whereas we as academics might have a real interest in figuring out which, which treatment, treatment A or treatment B, is better than the other. And those studies need to be done by cooperative groups. But as you know, it's very, very difficult to get grant funding to fund these sorts of studies these days. And so with the registry, if you're already collecting the clinical data, that is ready for use for clinical trials. And so you could use one registry to, as the basis for 10 or 20 or 30 clinical trials that are randomized. So the way we envision it and the way we're doing it at the moment is enrolling or recruiting sites that are already entering data into our registries and then building in a randomization tool. So patients who are seen in clinic um, and about to start, let's say uh, we were doing a trial comparing to abiraterone to enzalutamide, for instance, just, let's just say we're doing that study. You have a patient you're seeing, you want to start them on one or the other, and you know that there's a trial running at your site using the registry. So you'd randomize them using a randomization, so, so you'd consent them first, if they consented to being part of the study, you'd randomize them using a randomization tool, and then it would spit out which treatment that they're randomized to. And then you go out and prescribe that as you normally would, and go on and collect the clinical data as you normally would within the registry as well. And at the end of the study, you compare the endpoints. And patients are randomized to treatment A versus treatment B. So let's talk about endpoints. What kind of endpoints are suited to registry-based trials? The way I like to describe them, they've got to be hard endpoints, really black or white kind of scenarios. So overall survival, you know, death or alive, being, being alive is the clear endpoint that you can measure on a registry-based trials. Endpoints that are more difficult are progression-free survival, because as clinicians in our own practice, we have different reasons for stopping treatment. It's not really clearly defined as it might be within a kind of a normal randomised controlled trial. Toxicity is also really difficult. Uh, unlike prospectively run, you know, randomized control trials where the toxicity is graded using CTCA E criteria, in our clinical practice, we might not grade that as accurately. So if you're sticking to hard endpoints like survival, um, then you can, you can figure out the answer to your question. Yeah, fantastic. So Ben, you're very active in this space. People might be hearing this thinking, well, that sounds like something I'm really interested in being part of. Are there opportunities to contribute to your, the databases that you're involved with in GU and how can people get involved? We're always interested in having more sites on board for our databases. Uh, all you need to do is send me a line or give us a call uh, and we can always figure out how we might be able to get you a site on board. Great. And just to clarify, what are your current database areas in GU? So we have a castration-resistant prostate cancer database called EPAD, and we'll soon be releasing iTestis, which is a testicular cancer registry. And soon to come, hopefully later this year, will be a metastatic bladder cancer database called Bladder, with two Ds and an A, B-L-A-D-D-A, and also a kidney cancer registry called CRAB, with a K, K-R-A-B. Covering the field, fantastic. Nice to talk to you, Ben. Thanks, Carmel. Talking Urology at Anzup, proudly supported by Ibsen. 